0: This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey guys, welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious Podcast. Shirley fans, if you would like to check out our special exclusive episodes just for the Patreons, we would love for you to go over to patreon.com slash Shirley Podcast. That's S-U-R-E-L-Y podcast. And for as little as five bucks a month, you can become an executive producer of one of our episodes,
1: and you can get access to our new
0: exclusive episodes.
1: Right. We're having bonus content. We're dropping one special podcast once a month covering one-hit wonders of the 80s, 90s, and beyond. It's going to be a lot of fun. We promise that you're going to hear some great songs with deep, interesting stories. Absolutely. So be sure and go check those out. But for those of you
0: who are not ready to jump into that, no problem. If you would be so kind as to leave us a review and hopefully a five star rating on your podcast app. And then also we've got a special episode. This is part two of our Pyromania versus Hysteria episode from season one. We love these episodes. We've had a ton of people who've come in on these episodes and discovered us this way, so we really hope you enjoy this one. This drops us right into the middle of 1987, and it is a great beginning for our Summer
1: of 87 series. That's right. This week, we go track by track through Def Leppard's Hysteria album. Dee, I've got one question for you. Are you getting it? I'm getting it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dee, I know you're a golfer. Sure. When you hit the ball and it goes in the rough, it's hard to see. It is so hard to find. It's not cool when it's in the rough. Nobody wants a bunch of rough around their ball. You want it in the fairway. And you want it cleaned up so you can see the ball at all times. Right. The smoother it is, the easier it is to see. That reminds me of our sponsor, Manscaped.com.
0: Oh yeah, Manscaped.com. They have got incredibly good products. They've sent us some and we're both totally amazed by what they can do.
1: We've tried the Weed Whacker. We've tried the lawnmower. They've got some great stuff over there at Manscaped.com.
0: You know, if you feel a little bit nervous about getting clippers underneath, say, you know, the Adam's apple, hey, that's okay. They've got products to clean up that nose hair, which, I mean, I know you guys have talked to people with the nose hair that's just dangling out of the nose, and it's an absolute distraction. Don't be one of those guys. They've got the Weed Whacker that'll help you out with that, and then once you feel secure about how awesome these products are, you can feel a little more comfortable about heading south of the border and taking care of the
1: unsightly rough, that is hiding your balls. Take care of your rough, fellas. It's just the right thing to do. Head over to manscaped.com, use the promo code serious 20 and you'll save 20% on all the products.
0: Guys, don't forget, it's easier to see a giraffe on the plane than it is in the
1: forest. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's really Do we wanna get right? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin.
0: All right, Jason, step inside. Walk this way. You and me, babe. Hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We are so glad you're joining us again. This is part two of our Def Leppard episodes. Um, We are super excited to talk to you today about Hysteria. If you haven't heard our last episode, that was the one where we covered Pyromania. And then when we're done with those two albums, we'll give you our final judgment on which we think is the best of Def Leppard. I'm freaking stoked to talk about Hysteria. This album brings back far more memories for me than Pyromania did. Pyromania came out, I was still pretty young, really more listening to Michael Jackson. When Hysteria came out, I was middle school, moving into high school as those singles were being released. And, yeah, I have lots of memories associated with
1: those. The really unique thing for me about this album is... When you're fourteen years old and an album stays prominent for two whole years, yeah, it covers a lot of your life. You yeah know what I mean? Yeah, it really does, yeah. Okay. So we'll get more we'll get more into that as we go, but uh, let's dive into the history of the making of hysteria okay. before we talk about the songs.
0: Okay, sounds good.
1: Okay, so after Pyromania And after they had gone from 800 at the beginning to Jack Murphy Stadium where they're playing in front of gobs of people.
0: Yeah. Massive
1: success. Opening
0: for Billy Squire and people would leave after their opening set.
1: Yeah, to becoming a headlining, prominent 80s band with this pop metal masterpiece, Pyromania. Yeah. So they're going back in the studio now to make the follow-up to Pyromania and they expect to make it really in a couple of years, maybe a year or two. Right.
0: Well, it had taken them longer to record Pyromania than it had any other album that they had done up until that point. But, you know, when they had so much success with Pyromania, they were thinking, okay, we are willing to put in the time. We're willing to be abused by Mutt Lang. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because this, I mean, the success of this one has been incredible. And so they had one or two songs that they started off with, that they put a few demo tapes together for,
1: and then things started to get bad. So they, they go back to the studio in February of 84. They actually moved to Dublin. They're leaving England for tax reasons. Right. And they go to Dublin in February of 84 to start work on the follow-up album. Yep. But the big problem at this time is that Muttling is unavailable. Right. I mean, this guy is their mentor. He's the guy who we talked about built the album brick by brick, and he's out.
0: Yeah. When you get an album that sold six million copies, as much heck as you went through with the guy, you can go, well, he knows how to put together an album. We're going to have to do this again.
1: All right. So with Mutt laying out, they go to this list of possible producers. Yeah. And one of the guys they actually look at is Phil Collins of Genesis.
0: The singer, Phil Collins.
1: Yeah, that's right. Susudio.
0: Does he produce albums?
1: I don't know that he's ever produced an album. Okay.
0: All right. Well... Um, that's an interesting choice They it, didn't go with him though
1: They didn't But yeah His pop sensibilities I, I don't know I mean I can see that But yeah. They settled on Jim Steinman Okay so, who, Jim Steinman was the songwriter For Bat Out of Hell Right So
0: he's a songwriter, but not a record producer. This seems kind of odd. You know from what they went through before, when we looked at the way that Mutt Lang puts record together, he is the sixth member of the band. And to take somebody who basically doesn't know how to play the instrument
1: that's in front of him... Seems an odd choice. It does seem like an odd choice. And we should say, before we leave out Mutt Lang, he actually did do some songwriting sessions with the guys. Uh So he did start the process with them. But he bows out due to exhaustion. Right. Jim Steinman steps in. And how did that go? Well, I've heard Joe Elliott talk about he was not a fan really from the get-go. Right. And during the recording sessions that they would Work on. Uh-huh. Um, I remember talking about when they were recording "Don't Shoot Shotgun," which is a song on the backside of Hysteria. Right. That Jim Steinman said, "All right, guys, go for it." They played a little bit, and Jim Steinman was like, "Yep, sounds great." And Steve Clark was like, "Dude, we haven't even warmed up yet," <laughs> which is the exact opposite of playing, right. right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So it just wasn't really a good fit. Yeah. So they decided to let him go. Right. Kind of like Eric Stoltz, really, in Back to the Future. They were down the road. Yeah. And decided to make that hard choice of the same work and we got to change. Right. So they cut him loose. And then on New Year's Eve of 1984, Rick Allen is driving in his Corvette. Right. Following behind an Alfa
0: Romeo, Mm -hmm. driving with his girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. The Alfa Romeo is going slowly. Yes. And so he tries to pass. When he tries to pass, the Alfa Romeo speeds up. And so he has to back off because they're curves coming ahead and it goes on like this he gets behind the alfa romeo it slows
1: down he tries to pass it speeds up and when he decides to finally hit the gas that's it i'm leaving this guy behind Uh there's a big swerve and before he can do anything he crashes into a brick wall flips his car upside down and it tears
0: his arm off right yeah the seat belt is the thing that probably took his arm off because he was not wearing it properly this is a tragedy, but he is so blessed to have been where he was when the accident occurred because as it turned out there's a nurse who lives right there next to where the accident occurs. She goes out to see what's wrong. And then a police officer who is her neighbor puts his head over the wall to see what's going on. And Rick Allen is standing up, still conscious, didn't even lose consciousness, which is probably a, a part of why he didn't bleed out because he was so tense all he can say is, I'm a famous drummer and I've lost my arm.
1: What a, what a crazy nightmare scenario.
0: Yeah. The police officer ended up having to go find the arm up under the dash of the car. And so they they pack it. They rush him and his girlfriend over to the hospital. But they make the decision to reattach
1: the arm. It actually, they think it went pretty well. The surgery yeah. went well. but Pink's they, up. They thought it was going to. Revive After like a week, it started to become infected. And that infection was actually going to threaten his life. Can you imagine that heartbreak of, number
0: one, I have to have my arms for my career. That makes me millions of dollars. And I've just lost one of them. And then number two, I get this momentary, oh, they've reattached it and everything looks like it's going to be okay. And then you've taken it away from me again.
1: It's uh, utterly heartbreaking. Every second of that week, you've got to be thinking... Okay, I think it's working. You know, yeah. come on back arm. Let's yeah. go. And then after that, after
0: they had to take that arm off, they said, you know, the other thing is that there's an infection. And if it spreads to your other arm, you're going to lose that one, too. Yeah. I mean.
1: It was oh, serious. It's I just can't imagine. So the band is distraught yes, for him. Right. Initially, they were worried that he might not even live. Yeah. His life, this infection, the losing the arm, and they had to worry about him living. Right. Then they had to worry about... What are we going to well, do? What are we going to do? I love to
0: listen to these guys talk because it was never even a thought in their mind that they would say, you know, we got to find somebody else. It was, Rick, what do you think? And Rick said, I'm going to make this work. Yeah.
1: I <laughs> mean, that's awesome. I, and what a, what a tribute to him. They, they went and visited him like three weeks after this, after yeah. they had taken his arm back off. Yeah. And... He's sitting there playing with one arm and pillows. They walk in and he's like, guys, I think I can do this. I just need to play the other thing with my feet. I mean, this
0: guy is a guy who had been playing drums since he was a little kid. And then as we talked about in our last episode, he's the youngest member of the band. And he goes from, hey, we're in this garage band to, hey, we're doing world tours by the time he's 17 or 18 years old. Yeah, it's incredible. Drumming his whole life, he said at this point, he's like, okay, this is a wake up call. This is a new challenge for me. I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna use it as motivation to become an even better drummer
1: than I was before. band leaves him to recover yeah. and they get back in the studio yep. and they start writing. By this time, Mutt Lang had finished up with Heartbeat City. He had been involved as a, in a car accident as well, but ultimately he healed up. So Mutt Lang decides, guess what guys, I'm back. Back in. And there was much rejoicing. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's right I'm back and now I'm going to beat you guys to death to get an even better album out of you right and it was that process but they knew what to expect at this point that's right, right now. they literally worked from February of 1984 I mean if you want to be technical yeah through like February of 87 three years but during the process during all this craziness Rick Allen made the comment that between Mutt Lang and the concerts and the music and the album and my Crash and the all this that we fired this guy and This is crazy. This is like hysteria. And they thought, that's it. That's the name of the album. So we can talk specifically as we go through the songs, but um, we've talked in the previous episode that this is built brick by brick. When they strum the guitars on the song Hysteria, it's actually, they recorded it note by note. Note by note.
0: Yeah, so even if you don't play guitar, you can easily imagine, the pick goes string by string. Even though it's going fast, it still has to just hit one string at a time. And so there's a sound of succession. What Mutt Lang did was to take out that sound of succession, and the guitar is all of the strings at the same time, almost as if you're you're beating them with a drumstick, except it's the sound of a plucked string, all of them plucked at the same
1: time. That's why it gives it that unique sound. Yeah, a
0: very unique sound.
1: Okay, so when they were working on these songs, yeah. and Mutt Lang is beating them to death in the studio, and they're talking about songs, they're writing songs, yeah. and they sit down for a meeting, Mutt Lang says, all right, guys, here's our goal. Yeah. We want a pop metal album that is thriller.
0: Which means what? It means every song on this album could be a single. Do you think they accomplished it? I do think they accomplished it. So they certainly accomplished it for the A side.
1: There's no question about that because every single one of them was a successful song. I would say 10 of 12. Wow. I mean, what a lofty goal. We've talked, you and I have talked at length about Thriller and Bad. It has
0: been really exciting to go through the albums that we're going through. I didn't appreciate as much, I did appreciate, but I didn't appreciate it as much how much the producer is a part of the sound of the band. With Michael Jackson, Obviously, we had Quincy Jones is a huge part of the success of Thriller and Bat. With Van Halen, Ted Templeman is a huge part of the success with David Lee Roth and the boys, and Don Landy is a huge part of the way they sound and sound differently with Sammy Hager. Sammy Hager, yeah. Yeah. So with this, we've got Mutt Lang the the producer and the production is a huge part of all popular music from as far back to the beatles. All
1: right, so their goal is thriller and they want to make every single a releasable song, right? So let's go through the list and find out what we think about these songs.
0: Okay, sounds good.
1: All right, so the first song on the album and the first single that they actually released in the United States and only in the United States was a song called Women. Love it. (laughs) Women was released in July of 87. They hoped that the hard rock sound would reconnect with their rock audience, particularly because they know that they had uh, some softer songs to come, like Hysteria and Love Bites. So the Women single is released in July of 87. I actually remember when the video came out, I was super excited because I had that history with Pyromania. Right. But it kind of landed with a
0: thud in the U.S. It didn't do as well, No. It is awesome as the video is. It still the not as well. And let me just say, as far as the hysteria of videos are concerned, well, they certainly made up. <laughs> they got better. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Man's videos were so bad, and these—not
1: all these—were great, but they were certainly a, a, a sight better than the other ones. So it, it goes to number eighty on the Hot One Hundred. Yeah. Doesn't it, doesn't it even crack the top fifty? Uh, on the top rock charts, it gets to number seven. But really, it was kind of a disappointment.
0: Yeah. So. Interestingly, the B-side of this one, which was a song that wasn't on Hysteria, actually did really well. It's a song called Tear It Down. So we'll take a listen to that real quick.
1: That's a kickback song. That song is awesome. So
0: they ended up, it got radio play, and they ended up performing that on the MTV Music Awards in 89, Um, and then later they re-recorded it for Adrenalize.
1: Yeah, so let me take you back to a time when we didn't have Spotify or the internet, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Some people will not remember this time, but... For me as Our listeners
0: will remember this time. Yeah, that's right.
1: I hope you will. And if you are one of the select few of
0: 17 and under guys who listen, this is historical. There was a time where music was much harder to come by. That's right. And we're glad to have you. Yeah.
1: But during this time, so for me, I didn't buy... I had the cassette tape for Hysteria. Yeah. Right? But this is a time early on in CDs, right? Yeah. So they would release the CD with the B-side of Tear It Down. So women... Released in the United States had the other track was "Tear right. It Down." Right. Flash forward to April of '89. Yeah. It gets radio play. "Tear It Down" is like a hit. Yeah. I can't get my hands on it. All right. Because two years prior, that CD single is long gone. Yeah. And I can't Spotify it. I can't internet it. I gotta wait for the radio to play it.
0: Right. Which I, I'm sure that most of our listeners have a memory pretty clearly of sitting by the radio with <laughs> with a Maxell cassette tape plugged in, just hoping against hope that the DJ didn't
1: talk over the introduction to the song you wanted to record. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, Tear It Down, kind of a timely thing about the Berlin Wall, relatively. Yeah. I mean, their songs are not real... No.
0: They're you know, not politically They're charged. not political,
1: which I appreciate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And then so on this video, the video, the boy is reading a comic book, and it is Def Leopard and the Women of Doom is the name of the comic book, and you have a superhero who rides around on a sort of space skateboard kind of thing that looks very much like Joe Elliott, and he ends up um, on the planet Doom where they're making uh, robotic women. And this kid's reading the, reading this outside of the warehouse where the band is inside performing the song. And the robotic women, when they're instructed, their instructions are, Worship our master's every need. This anagram being kind of like, women.
1: <laughs> I didn't even guess that. There Worship our master's yeah. every need. It's kind of yeah. like Stepford-wise there. Yeah. In the video, other than the drawn comics, yeah. there's not a single woman in the video. No. This is the first video that they did after Rick Allen had had his arm amputated. It's a great song. Oh, yeah? It's a great song, and it's a staple of their live... I mean, I've seen them live many times, and they play this all the time. And just to touch on their live
0: shows, you know, they did a in-the-round concert tour with this album, and there are a few things to keep in mind here. Well, uh, the first one, what was going on underneath the stage, was described by one photographer as Sodom and Gomorrah. There were, there were 60 women with no clothes on whatsoever and so as the band performed they would need breaks and so a couple of guys
1: would stay on stage and it was joe elliott and rick allen so rick allen's playing the drums and joe elliott is kind of thunder god you know let's hear it for rick allen yeah phil and steve and rick and sav are under the stage yeah good doing who knows what we won't go into it because it's <laughs> a family show I'm sure they were just having coffee. But, you know, when they started that
0: tour, Rick Allen wasn't as confident in his ability to play, and so they had a guy named Jeff Rich come in and be their their drummer that was there to kind of fill in. Mm-hmm. And then a few shows in, it was like pre-shows to this tour that they're about to go in, Jeff Rich's plane ends up getting delayed. He doesn't show up to the concert on time, and so Rick Allen's just got to do it. And Jeff Rich comes in kind of sheepishly toward the middle of the concert and kind of fades back into the back. And when the concert's done, he says, well, it was nice knowing you guys, but I think, Rick, you don't need me. That's such a cool story. Yeah, when he came out, when Rick came out on stage that first time after the amputation, there were 50,000 people chanting his name. That's so cool. Uh, it's, It's beautiful.
1: So the second track on the album yes. is Rocket. This was released in January of 89. This was their last single. This is the last video of Steve Clark. Yes. It's actually filmed in the same warehouse that Women was filmed in.
0: Yeah, and it's to me it sounds a lot like Women. They have a very similar sound to them, these two songs. They did a thing on this called backmasking where they would record things backwards. It wasn't the weird stuff that you heard about with Led Zeppelin uh, decades before. It was just the... Uh, Kill yourself. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> um, it. He They would record things like, we're fighting with the gods of war,
1: which is one of the lines from Gods of War. Record that one backwards. Okay, wait. We, that is such a cool little nugget. We, okay. we really have to play that because the beginning part of rocket I'm listening to it going it's yeah. weird you can't verbalize it yep. and then when I hear oh my gosh that's we're fighting for the gods of war backwards yes in the middle of it they're they're making these saw so- these sounds this is a sampling of love bites
0: now the coolest part of this thing is the drums yeah. listen to it right here yeah the So this actually came from a a song called Burundi Black. And we'll play a snippet of that for you right here. So the sound of those drums is unmistakable as the same drums that are in Rocket. Um, So what happened was Joe Elliott heard that song. He heard the Burundi Black, and he was like, okay, I think I can do something with this. And they took that just that drum piece and then built the song off of that. It's really cool. And then it was just supposed to be those drums and him singing Rocket over and over again. And then decided just at some point, he threw in Satellite of Love. Well, Satellite of Love is an old Lou Reed song, and it was kind of on you know Joe Elliott's list of awesome songs. And so they thought, why don't we do a whole song that are awesome influences that have influenced us musically over the years?
1: Part of the songs mentioned, so here, I'll just give you some of the lyrics, right? They say, Jack Flash, Rocket Man, yeah. Sgt. Pepper and the Band, Ziggy, Benny, and the Jets. So, Jumpin' Jack Flash. yeah. Rocket Man by Elton John. Yep. Sgt. Pepper by The Beatles. Yep. Benny and the Jets by Elton John. And Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie.
0: Yeah. There were, I think, three different David Bowie songs because they also said something about they say, Major Tom.
1: Yep. They say Johnny B, Gene Genie, Killer Queen by Queen. Yeah. Uh, Major Tom. But Johnny B is Johnny B. Good. Yeah. Flashback to our uh, Raiders Back to the Future episode. Okay, so this is early on in CD time, right? Uh Like I mentioned, I had this on tape, on cassette tape. And it's one of the very, one of about five tapes that I played it so much it broke. (laughs) But you could buy CD singles. But as you acquired these CD singles, it actually, you laid it down on the floor and it made a huge picture of hysteria. Yeah. Of the album cover. And for a kid like me, at 14, it was like collecting baseball cards. Like, I wanted to (laughs) buy these CD singles, so I'd have this thing laid down on my floor.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: All right, so this brings us to the third track on the album, which is Animal.
0: Right. The demo on this one was recorded
1: before Rick Allen had his car accident. This is one of the oldest songs on Hysteria, so yeah. having a track where Rick Allen plays with both arms is kind of a neat thing.
0: Yeah. Then they just never felt like it was right during the recording process.
1: This is this took some three years to perfect this
0: song. Yeah. They had recorded all of the instruments, the drums, the vocals, and as two and a half years down the line, they're like, you know what, this this is already kind of getting old to us and they're thinking we don't want something that we want something that's going to be timeless not something that we're going to be tired of before it's even released and so they stripped it of everything except for the vocals and Rick Allen's drums Video on this one, if if you're trying to remember all of your Death Leopard videos, is the one where they're in the, at the circus. <laughs>
1: and and the guy throws knives at Joe Elliott, and...
0: uh, Yes. It was during this particular video that it it suddenly (laughs) occurred to me how often Steve Clark holds his guitar up in the air whenever the camera's... (laughs) 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 I mean, God rest his soul. Uh, He... I kind of look back at some of the other videos, like, every time the camera goes on to Steve Clark, he's like, hey, look at
1: my guitar. (laughs) Look how awesome I am. (laughs) I like how to hold it really low or really high. (laughs) This was their first hit in England. Yeah. It was the first time they, they cracked the top ten for anything in England. And just to mention, Jim Steinman's version of this had a sweeping orchestra.
0: Okay. That'd be interesting.
1: Uh, I, I don't know what... Whatever it, the course it took to get the song to where it is today, Yeah, I like it a lot to where it is today. So right. I'm not sure I want to hear the orchestra version of this song.
0: Yeah, I would.
1: I'd listen to that. This is the song that caused me to buy the tape. Buy the whole album? Yeah. Okay. So when, it, when Women came out, I saw the video, I'm like, all right, Def Lever's back at it, about time. Yeah. You know? But when I heard Animal, I was like, take me to the record store right now. Right. So. The next song
0: that's on the album is Love Bites. This one is a definitive power ballad, Without a doubt. When you
1: this is their first number one hit, by the way. Yeah. It reached the number one spot on the top 100. Right. So I can remember school dances, mm-hmm.
0: slow dance under this song, mm-hmm. heart pounding, wondering what's going to happen. Nothing, oh, yeah. ever, nothing ever happened. <laughs> This one, interestingly, this is kind of crazy. This one was supposed to be like a country-style song by Mutt Lang. I mean, it was a... I cannot imagine what
1: that could have sounded like. I'd could, love to hear this as a country song sometime. Well, okay. I'll see, well, I'll see if I can find that for you. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> this is the only track on Hysteria that has keyboards. According to this song, love bites, yeah, it bleeds, bleeds. Yeah. brings me to my knees, yeah. lives, dies, begs, Please. It's a lot of stuff. It's love. <laughs> Here's a quick story for Love Bites. You ready for this? Yeah, go for it. All right. So, like I said, I had this tape. I played it all the time. Had it with me all the time. I bring it in the car. but like, Dad, can you play this one? <laughs> that, that time, no, yeah. you can't play it in the car. Right. Um. But uh, at my house, my parents were very cognizant of what I was listening to. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, Molly Crew, eh, not in this house, Mister. All
0: right. So you listen, listen to it not in the house.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I had this tape, and my dad was like, "All right, let me check this tape out, right?" And he looks at it, and he's looking at it, and he's reading through it. Okay, women. All right, rocket, animal. Okay, whatever. Uh, wait a minute. What exactly are love bites?
0: <laughs> 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 oh. That's funny. Yeah. Love you, Dad. <laughs> like, Thank like, you. they like bonbons. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to try some of our love bites?
1: <laughs> this song actually has a little bit of controversy to it. I don't know if you're, you remember this, but at the very, very end of the song, no. you can hear just a little bit of noise. Barely voices, right? Yeah, right, right. Okay, so people thought that it said, Jesus of Nazareth go to hell. What? Yeah, at the very end. Actually, that's Mutt Lang saying, Yes, it does, bloody hell. But it's really quiet. Yeah, yes, okay. it does, bloody hell. All right, that wraps Love Bites. Right. This brings us to. Gosh, yeah. You talk about
0: blowing your friggin' mind. So here's my story on this song. Come on. So I'm in eighth grade and I'm the king of the middle school. Yes. Right, Me and my buddies are the king of the middle school because we're in eighth grade and we're the oldest ones there. And we're like, you know what? We're going to go to a high school dance. And so we decide we're going to go to the high school dance. First high school dance I've ever been to. And I go in and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy awesome. I don't know <laughs> what to do. And I'm nervous and all of this. And and if anybody remembers your first dance, especially if you're a guy, you're like, do I dance? Do I not dance? Do I just sit here and act cool? What am I supposed to do? And then, yeah, girls are begging you to dance. And you're just like, oh, know. Okay, finally you go out there and dance And you look like a white kid dancing (laughs) A puberty-ridden White kid dancing But hey, it's okay, you're having fun And I can remember it, the first dance End of the dance And the DJ says Alright everybody, here is the song You've all been waiting All night for And they start cranking, pour some sugar on me And the room Erupts like this is amazing i've never heard this song before but i'm gonna go find it right after this is done i've got to go find this because this song is
1: incredible it was incredible so let's let's dive into it because before we talk about the videos yeah not the video the videos (laughs) yeah plural yeah um let's talk about the song this song is when the album actually took off
0: right so they had you know, they. Had a good had good sales with Pyromania. They spent five million dollars recording this album. They sold three million copies of which, Hysteria, which was pretty good. I mean, yeah, hey, we just sold three million albums. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, a success. Except we haven't made back the money that we spent making right. the album, which is kind of a big deal for the record
1: companies. Until Pour Some Sugar Comes Out, and everyone goes. Crazy! I heard a record executive say that they moved 450,000 units on one day because of the success of Pour Some Sugar on Me. Yeah. That's almost going gold, gold in one day. That's amazing. So he said he had never seen a, a song be that powerful. If you listen to it, it's it's kind of like a rap. Yeah. I mean, Joe Light talks about how this is modeled after Walk This Way.
0: They were not really sure... Uh, How rap and rock and roll would go together, and then Run DMC and Aerosmith came out with a rendition of Aerosmith's old 70s song, Walk This Way, and they go, well, I guess it can be done. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) But this is really interesting. First of all, before we even get into that. Uh There is a song, I believe from the 60s, called Sugar Sugar by the Archies. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to yep. blow your mind on this. You ready yeah. for this? Everybody will
0: recognize the intro to this song, but what you may not remember is the end of this song.
1: It is freaking unbelievable. I just found this out this week yeah. after living with this album for 30 years. So Joe Elliott, this is his first record that he actually bought. Sugar Sugar by the Archie's.
0: So this song, they actually they didn't have this song for most of the recording process. This They were toward the end of the album and Mutt Lang is walking by and he hears Joe Elliott playing a riff on the guitar and he says, that's good, what is that?
1: And so they Take it and they play with it. It's incredible. It's incredible. They were on a coffee break when he when he was fiddling around with this. Yeah. This is in January of 87. Okay. Yeah. They are wrapping up Armageddon, it, which was the last song in the album. Okay? Yeah. Mutt Lang felt like the album is great. Yeah. But we're really, we really need that signature song that we don't have yet. Right. And the record company is impatient. This has taken three years. What the heck? Get this album out.
0: Right. And so he hears Joe Elliott playing this, and he's like, ooh. This could be it. This could be the one. And so the way that they get the lyrics to this, this is is funny as can be. You've you've got the sound. And so how do we get the lyrics? Well, Mutt Lang and Joe Elliott go to opposite sides of the room, and they have a little dictaphone, and they listen to their their recording of the riff, and they just do this kind of stream of consciousness. Here are the lyrics that just pour out as I'm thinking of them. And then they trade dictaphones, and they listen in, and they try to figure out what the other guy was saying saying. Uh And at some point, Joe Elliott hears the words, love is like a bomb. Whether that's what Mutt Lang said or not, that's what Joe Elliott heard. And that was what they built the entire song What a
1: freaking incredible story.
0: This was ranked number one on MTV top 300 videos of all time in May of 91. In 2006, it ranked number two on VH1's greatest songs from the 80s, Number one was Living on a Prayer. Thank you.
1: Before you move on to that. Yeah, no problem. VH1 ranked this as the number two song from the 80s. Yes. It only reached number two on the Hot 100 chart. The number one song that week, Hold On to the Nights by Richard Marks. Just when I believed. There's no way that song <laughs> is better than Portion <laughs> Sugar Trigger Army.
0: Right. When they do the video for this song, <laughs> there's two versions. There's two versions. One is... Spectacular and one is terrible, one is god awful. Oh my gosh, it's not as bad as the pyromania videos, it's worse, it's way worse because at least the pyromania videos were weird and interesting. This is just
1: bad. We gotta, we gotta post this video on our Facebook page. Yeah, we'll do that. If this video is the vehicle for this song, this song does not do as well.
0: No. It may still do great, but nothing compared to what it did do. It took a great
1: song and made it look dorky.
0: Yeah, right? and if you don't know, the original video to this song, the guys are singing in this kind of old lady-looking house apartment in this building that is being torn down by these very manly-looking women and sporadic shots of a crowd of nerdy-looking people <laughs> shouting, pour some sugar on me. It's, whoa. What happened? This is terrible. Fortunately, they're wise enough to look at it and go, this is terrible. What else can we do? And live in the round, in your face, they took footage from that tour, specifically their performance in Denver. And they made the video that everybody knows and loves. In the video, he's wearing the t-shirt
1: the women T-shirt.
0: Yes, he's got the comic book that the kid was reading from the women video. It's got he's got his own picture. He's got his own superhero. I want to have that. Okay, I want to have a T-shirt that's me as a superhero in a comic book <laughs>
1: on the T-shirt. Can here's, we get one of those? Here's a funny story for you. Okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna rat myself out. But in that video, he's got the women's shirt, cut down, sleeveless, right? Looks yep. really cool. The mullet is in full glory. But he has a pair of jeans that have like the horizontal stairs. rips on them all yes. the way through. I took a pair of jeans, yep. cut them up, washed them, didn't wear them in public. Just wore them in my room when I listened to the songs play the air drums. <laughs> <laughs> true story. That's a true story. This song
0: has an entirely, to me, an entirely different feel than all of the rest of the songs in the album. It is stripped down. It is not the mutt lang. We're gonna we're gonna put all these things together. It is very very basic. Very much drums and singing and just music in sporadic bursts that gives it that kind of Black Dog uh, from Led Zeppelin feel where you just, the song kicks more butt than any other song on the album. Yeah. And it's
1: vaguely sexual, too. I, pour yeah. some sugar on I me. don't know what the bubble is that they're breaking. <laughs> I don't. But for some reason, it makes me feel a little dirty. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the peaches. I've got the cream. I eee. We having an ice cream party. Yes, that's okay. what it is. We're, yeah. Yeah. All right, it's a cobbler. <laughs> I like peaches and cream. Okay, are we done with pour some sugar on me? Uh, it's I a ten so. pole song on the album. All right, so the sixth track on the album is Armageddon. It. Yep. This is the most fun the nuclear war has ever been. <laughs> I mean, Armageddon has nothing to do with it. It's just <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> this is this was released in January of '89. Yeah. This is this is almost a year and a half after the album came out, right? And they're still they're tearing riding it up.
0: Well, they're riding that "Pour Some Sugar on Me" wave. Yes, I mean it's and "Love Bites," "Love Bites," "Pour Some Sugar on Me," "Armageddon," it. They are they're cruising that
1: thing for as long. They as are as well. surfing that wave. Yep. This song reached number three in January of '89 on the Hot 100. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Only beat out by Two Hearts" by Phil Collins. Oh, wow. Former possible producer for Hysteria. Ironic. And Don't Rush Me by Taylor Dane, much. (laughs) So, uh, but it's a play on words, right? Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Yes, I'm getting it, it. right? Uh, I love this song. The hook of the guitar is so catchy. It is a pop, metal, awesome five-star song.
0: Yeah. I like the play on words. It's got some novelty. I I liked it when I was a kid. They do their video in the exact same way as they did with "Pour Some Sugar on Me," and why
1: not? <laughs> it works so well. Let's it do works. it again. yes uh, And once again, this was the last. This was supposed to be the last song completed for the album.
0: Uh huh. But
1: thankfully, Met Lang said, "You know what, Joe? We're gonna go explore that Pour Some Sugar on Me' <laughs> ditty that you got there. Yeah.
0: And keep building." Yeah, so the poor, you know, we talked about them not making their money back. It was Pour Some Sugar On Me that caused the album sales to skyrocket, beating Pyromania and making them the money back and then multiple folds over.
1: That's right, that's right. Hit stop on your tape deck, kick out your cassette, flip it over. Now we're going to side two. Okay. But before we do, side one of Hysteria may be the best one side of any album in the 80s. Wow! Uh, Women, rocket, animal, yeah. Love bites. Pour some sugar on me, Armageddon.
0: Yeah, I might have agreed with you back in 1989. I don't know that I'm going to agree with you right now.
1: Okay. Well, we hey, we're gonna we're gonna dive into a whole bunch of albums. So. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's go for it. Okay. So the first track on side two uh-huh. is a song called "Gods of War." This song has Ronald Reagan sounding like Dirty Harry. Uh Uh-huh. This is kind of a Die Hard the Hunter from Pyromania. Yeah. Jacked up on steroids.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a little tougher. I felt like a little they're trying to kind of get into that Metallica side of things a little bit, but it's still very mutt-lang, very highly produced.
1: I think this is a song that if it had a killer video behind it, it could have been a successful single. The chorus in this song is awesome. They only play it twice. And then you close out with Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan saying, You thought America was going to be passive. You counted wrong. And then boom, all these, you know, war stuff. And Uh hey, let's go. Okay. Song after that is a song called Don't Shoot Shotgun. Don't shoot. Shoot. Catchy song. I know all the words. It's a little goofy. More sex, more guns, more rock and roll. <laughs> there you go. Um, this is one of the oldest songs on the album. Jim Steinman actually worked on this with the band. Good song. Not a great song, but a good song. Moving on to a song called Run Riot. For me, this is the weakest track on the album. Okay. I mean, it's it's a good song. I, I still love it. Yeah. But... It's not a not a high recommend for me. Yeah, I, I just I mean
0: to shoot you straight on the B side, I, I had to push through. I had to push <laughs> through to get through these hysterias. Obviously on the B side, and it's a decent song, but the rest of the songs I had to just kind of force myself to listen through all.
1: This. Okay, well, Run Riot is not not the best track on the album. Number ten track, <music> Hysteria. Hysteria. Which,
0: I, I'll do something for you now. You know, you gave us that little Archie's gold nugget. I'll do something for you. Okay, so this song is Goodbye Blue Sky by Pink
1: Floyd. Wow. Wow. Wow.
0: Yeah. Goodbye Blue Sky by Pink Floyd, Off the Wall album. It's one of my favorite songs off the album, and it's unmistakable. You know, when you hear, <laughs> when you when you hear Hysteria, if you're a semi Pink Floyd fan, you're gonna go, "This sounds familiar." Uh-huh. If you're a big Pink Floyd fan, you're gonna go, "Are they playing Goodbye Blue
1: Sky?" Uh huh. Because it's spot on. Wow, I I never heard that before. I'm not a Pink Floyd guy, so right. Wow, so you blew my mind. With the Archies. (laughs) Thank you. I'll blow your mind with Pink Floyd, and we can keep on rolling. Well, that's cool. (laughs) For me, uh, uh, Goodbye Blue Sky aside, this song is gorgeous. Yeah. It's layer upon layer upon layer of guitars, and just... to my soul. I love this song. Yeah, I
0: think the reason, one of the reasons that I like this song so much is that it reminds me so much of the Pink Floyd style. And I said that about, I said that about some of the songs from Pyromania as well. They, they are definitely taking some ideas from the Pink Floyd library and and running with them and making them their own.
1: I did hear uh, Phil Cullen talk about how he and Rick Savage had come together with some different ideas, and Rick Savage had played this guitar. Part, and Phil Collin would play the dun, 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 that little strum that we talked about. Yeah, And it was very similar to when we talked about Right Now from Van Halen. Yeah. Two guys, different rooms, working on the same song. They just didn't know it. Right. When they came together, they said, well, I'm working on this. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, hey, I've been working on this. Hey, that sounds good. Okay. And they put it together and that became this song. Yep. So uh, this song did very well. I think it reached number 10, not 100. Okay. This was definitely a uh, put it on the uh, girlfriend makeout mix of '88, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you excitable? Are you excitable? Okay. Are you excitable? This was Mutlang's attempt at making some sort of rock dance song. Okay. Uh, It's kind of vaguely naughty at the beginning, right? No. (laughs) Are you excitable? Right. Yeah. Uh, I like it. Uh huh. It's good. It's 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 kind of got
0: it's got that same thing going. The uh, action, what's the action song from?
1: uh, Action not words. Action not words from Pyromania. It's got that same kind of subtlety going on. Yeah, yeah. I have the Hysteria Super Deluxe Edition. Oh. And it has a um, Excitable, the Orgasmic uh, (laughs) mix. (laughs) Oh my goodness! I don't know if we're going to be allowed to play (laughs) that one. Um, and then finally, we top it all off with "Love and Affection," uh-huh. which for me, this is another song that could have been released as a single. If you could put a put a cool video with this, it could have been a huge hit. Yeah, I love "Love and Affection." I am standing on this hill and dying. "Love and Affection" is in the top percent of the songs on this album you have to say i'm ranking it above it's in the top hundred percent it for sure it's is. on the top percentage <laughs> <laughs> I, I rank it above love bites i like it better than Love wow yeah okay so it's it's just a it's a really cool song
0: Alright, so you know the the band, sadly, highs and lows, highs and lows. Uh, tragically, after they finished their tour, Steve Clark lost his battle with alcoholism. It had been a constant issue that he had to deal with. His fiance came to the band a couple different times to go, hey, you guys, I mean and they were all heavy drinkers. And Phil Cullen, his guitar partner, the Terror Twins, was his drinking buddy. And at some point, Phil Cullen said, I've got to quit. And so Steve, who had dealt with depression and used alcohol as a way to deal with that, suddenly has lost his drinking buddy. And his downward spiral could not be stopped despite multiple attempts. Uh, They sent him to rehab for a significant portion of time. And he was just biding his time until he could start drinking again.
1: He was in the loony bin where... Yeah. Joel, talks about with the people that talk to trees. Yeah. He had some significant personal problems. Yep. And they, they were one of these deals were like, look, dude, if you don't straighten up, you're out of the band. Right. And it's such a hard thing. You don't, you know, until you walk a mile in somebody else's
0: shoes, you, you cannot judge their actions. I, had, I actually had a friend from high school. I'm 44 years old. I had a friend from high school die... Three weeks ago from his battle with alcoholism. If you've if you've got that problem and you've got that depression that you're dealing with, you gotta ask yourself, would you rather not be alive or would you rather just not be sad? And if the the answer is you'd just rather not be sad, please seek seek professional help. There, there are people out there who love you, who want you to stay around.
1: Right. I thought it was interesting on the inside cover of hysteria, the band said, sorry we were gone so long from Pyromania. It took us a long time to get here. We won't be gone this long ever again. Right. Well, with the problems that they had and the death of Steve Clark, they were gone even longer. So I remember where I was sitting when I heard the news that Steve Clark had died. I was such a big Def Leppard fan. Uh And I'm sitting around, of course, this is before the internet. This is in 1990. I'm like, when in the crap are they going to get a new album out? Right and i'm sitting on my now wife's bed as we're cleaning up her room we're working on something uh-huh and the radio says sad announcement steve clark died and i'm like what yeah it blew me away all right so we ready to dive in are we ready to talk final judgment let's now? talk final judgment
0: okay so i got to say, I said this in the first episode when we started talking about Pyromania. When I listened to Pyromania for the first time, it really was like I was listening to it for the first time because I didn't listen to it when I was a kid. I would see the videos that came on, but I never owned the album. I was never a big Def Leppard fan. And so I, when I listened to the album for the first time, it was like hey i'm back in the early 80s and i'm just imagining myself with my headphones in my room you know and i put that on and i was like wow this is really good i was blown away and i mean i knew def leppard from hysteria i like I said, I remember dances with pour some sugar on me, blowing it up and love bites and "Dancing with the girl. And there's a lot of emotion there. So I knew them from that, but to go back and listen to pyromania, I, I, I thought when we started this conversation, I thought, okay, well I'm going to be making that the argument for hysteria because the, the, those are the songs that I know, but going back, pyromania is my album. Wow. I will listen to the, I will listen to that one over and over again. Um, when I got, you know, when I got to Too Late for Love and you've got the swirling wind going on and you've got that guitar that comes in and Joe Elliott singing on top of that, just the wind, the guitar and Joe Elliott's voice, and then bam, you get hit with that the chorus and the harmony of the rest of the band. I was like, holy crap, this is freaking awesome. I was telling people, I was like, "We're doing this right now." I was like, "Have you listened to this album lately?" I was, I, was, I became an, an evangelist.
1: <laughs> that is so cool, man.
0: <laughs> For Pyromania, and I was just like, "This is really, really good." And then we had, we're doing Hysteria, so I start listening to Hysteria, and like we talked about, Side A, solid, right? And I'm listening, I'm like, "Yeah," I'm remembering all these songs, but as I'm listening to it, I'm like. These don't appeal to me the same way that they did before. They're good. I still have an emotional connection. It's that nostalgia that you've talked about before. But as I'm driving in my car, if from here on out, I can say, if I'm driving in my car and you can present me with only two options, I'm picking Pyromania over Hysteria.
1: Hey, I, that is really cool. First of all, the fact that you have discovered one of the 80s great rock albums is super cool. Yeah. And I have and I, I, had people... <laughs> Who have commented on the podcast. It only took me 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Well, that's so cool, and I'm glad to be a, a, sort of a part of, of yeah. that deal for you. Yeah. Um, I have had people comment on the podcast to me yeah. that they had forgotten how much they enjoyed Spaceballs or airplane or Bad. I've had a lot of people tell me that yeah. They now appreciate Bad better Yeah,
0: and when we did the Van Halen episode And I started listening to all the Sammy songs Again, I was like, man, these are these are Pretty darn good Yeah, I, I mean, I was kind of like eh. I still like Dave better, but I was Really impressed that You know, hey, I should have given these more of a chance Than I did, and this one was Just, I mean, it was brand new it was brand new for me and I
1: loved it. Well that's really cool. I'm I'm so glad to be a part of that. Now I gotta tell you why you're off base. <laughs> Alright? Yeah. Okay, so first of all, I absolutely love Pyromania. Yeah. Okay, so I am a the world's biggest Def Leppard fan. I think I I probably have said it many times. I'm not really good at masking my feelings, but for me hysteria is the soundtrack from my high school years. ultra nostalgic but I think these songs are just great I mean they're all great but Pyromania is great too so what's the dividing what's the the breaking point for me yeah so for me Pyromania is the Mona Lisa yeah of pop metal albums okay it's perfection okay okay now then Hysteria is the Mona Lisa except for the girl looks like Jennifer Lopez (laughs) all right They took they took something perfect and made it perfecter, okay? They, well, they made it
0: better. You know, and we didn't talk about that, but Mutt Lang, when he came to the guys after coming back into the album. He's like, so do you guys really want to make Pyromania 2? And the answer was no, we want to do something different, and we want to do something better. We want to take it up a notch. But the question is, did they take it up a notch? In your opinion, yes, okay. they did.
1: It, they did, and I'll tell you kind of where, where I am. Yeah. When Mutt Lang goes and gets coffee in 1987, January of 1987, and comes back and walks by, and Joe Elliott's playing on the guitar, and he's... Love is like a bomb, baby, come and get it on. Living like a lover with a red iPhone, Looking like a tramp, like a video map. Demolition woman can't be your man. And he says, stop the presses. We need to add that song. Accidental drip, right? The accidental drip. Yeah. The difference between Pyromania and Hysteria is that song, okay? Yeah. You take, you remove Pour Some Sugar on Me, and those albums are dead weight on the scale. They're even. And for me, the absolute mind-blowing power of that song, Pour Some Sugar on Me, tips the scales first. Okay. So... You and I are on the
0: same page on Pour Some Sugar On Me. And this, you know, in this experience that we have of making this podcast and listening to albums and learning about the albums, I've told you that listening to the producers and what their impact is, I had no idea, right? Mutt Lang has a huge effect on pyromania and I think an even bigger effect. And here's, I'm going to put it as simply as I can. The more produced an album is the more, to me, it sounds kind of canned. And so, you know, you talk about whether nostalgia is really the thing that influences or not. I can say, when I hear Love Bites, I can remember slow dancing with a girl. I can remember when I hear Pour Some Sugar On Me, the crowd going crazy and everybody dancing like Lord of the Flies. And and (laughs) it was awesome. But if you take that part out, if you take that experience out... If I'm just listening to hysteria in the car, it's not got the same connection. It doesn't have that emotion because it's so produced. Mutt Lang wanted perfection and he achieved it. It's just that perfection kind of leaves me a little bit cold. I like, and obviously Pyromania is really, really produced, right? I mean, they spent so oh, yeah. much time on it. It's a heavily produced animal, but it's not as much. And it's those little moments like in Too Late for Love where you're breaking it down, where it's a guitar and a singer and then a chorus and a harmony. That's the best part. And in Pour Some Sugar on Me, it's not hyper-produced. It's drums and a singer and a simple simple blues lick that makes this song so good. It's that they've taken out the overproduction that makes Pour Some Sugar On Me So Good. And I agree with you. If you take Pour Some Sugar out of that album, it's not a spectacular album. I'm telling you, Pyromania is better overall because the songs are good from beginning to end. It doesn't have the sparkling big hitter that Pour Some Sugar On Me is, but if you lose, pour some sugar on me from
1: uh, hysteria. Pyromania is obviously a better apple. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, here's what I—I'll be interested to see. Once we put this out on social media, this is going to be very similar to Michael Jackson. yeah, maybe so. Thrill or bad, thrill or bad, thrill bad, thrill bad, and then we get the occasional off the wall person. Right? <laughs> so we are yeah. going to hear somebody's going to say high and dry
0: is the best. I, I'm going—we're going to hear it. Yeah, trust me, we're going to hear it. Now, if somebody says Adrenalize is the best album, they're out. We're gonna have to see your ID, please. <laughs> Could you show me your ID?
1: Adrenalize is kind of the third in the trilogy. You know, they kind yeah. of see it as the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, but it is a step down. Well, but it's it is it was pure good. candy rock. It was right? candy rock. It it was they took too. it. The,
0: they just kept getting more and more pop and pop and poppy pop, and then it's, it's like
1: eating chocolate chip cookies for dinner. It's too much. Yeah. But for me, it's hysteria. For you, it's Pyromania. Yeah. I love them both. Yeah. What do you think? We want to hear from you guys. Yeah. Let me just say, I walked in today so
0: excited because I love doing this with Jason. He's my best friend and Knuckles (laughs) there. Yeah, we're goofballs. I love geeking out with him, but I love listening to you guys. We are getting so much feedback on Facebook and it is fantastic. People telling us... What? You're crazy. You know, why would you think this? This is ridiculous. And we love it. I mean, it's, we want you guys to, to, to dive in with us. And again, we're blown away. We thought we'd have a handful of listeners that we all knew their first name. There are lots of you out there who are telling your friends about us. Thank you. It means so much to us. We love you. Please keep
1: sharing the good news and please keep talking with us on Facebook. That's right. Thank you so much for listening. Give us a five-star honest review if you can, and share it with your friends. Or if it's a dishonest five-star review, that'll be <laughs> we'll take those as well. That'd <laughs> be fine too. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun, and we will see you next week. Yeah, when with
0: we're, we're gonna talk about
1: Braveheart and Gladiator. Yes.
0: And on this one, we can say with some strength, we do not love both of these movies. <sighs> That one still kills me. This, Come back, yeah. After this, this one. You want to hear a real argument? That, that those will be the episodes to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, signing off. All music images.